Welcome to the Beyond Fitness Podcast. This is your host, Cade Howell, and I just want to say thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the show. Today, we're talking about the downsides of getting lean, and this is something that does not get talked about very much, but getting lean is not all rainbows and unicorns. There are definitely some challenges physically, mentally, emotionally, and so we want to provide information to you guys that help you understand what you're getting yourself into when it comes to getting lean. And so Jake and I talk about our recent experience of getting photo shoot lean. So we went through a photo shoot prep together and it wasn't all fine and dandy. There were definitely some downsides to it and not that you shouldn't do this. If it's something you really want to do, by all means go for it, but you should at least understand what you're getting yourself into. And so that is what this episode is all about. And we also go some over some of the pros that don't get talked about very much. So there are some positives for sure, aside from just, you know, looking better in the mirror in your opinion so without further ado let's dig into the episode so we're going to be talking about kind of some of the downsides of getting lean because our first episode that was it was really a two-part episode we we're talking about kind of some of the stuff that helped us with getting lean for our photo shoot and i think it's easy to just at surface level kind of see getting lean like that as something that's just awesome and everybody wants to do it, but there are kind of some, some downsides to it. You know, are you, do you feel like you're still noticing some negative effects from dieting or do you feel like you're kind of back to hundred percent, Jake? Uh, it's funny that you say that. Cause I honestly feel like this is the first week where I really feel normal again. And that's probably in large part due to like the last week I was on vacation. And that was honestly the first week since when did we start the diet? The last week in May, that was the most mm -hmm. flexible I've been with food literally since, you know, like in May before we started the diet, just because I think that, and this is something we might talk more about today or maybe in a future episode, but like what's I, you could even argue more important than the diet is the post diet. Like, especially the first few weeks, because I mean, it's especially prevalent with, with bodybuilders and physique athletes. Sometimes they reach that peak of leanness and then they have so much like hunger and diet fatigue built up that they can gain like 20, 30 pounds in a, in a month in some scenarios. Um, so we really had to manage that post diet window. And so I was definitely still feeling it for a few weeks afterwards, but I think last week having the, the week where I was really able to just be flexible and not crazy, but definitely like eating foods. I wasn't really eating much of before and not really worrying about what my calorie intake ended up being, um, that kind of finally pushed me to a place where I feel back to normal. And I think it has some to do with just maybe part of psychologically, I'm sure. Um, but the other part probably just being like spending a few months or a few weeks rather out of the diet, uh, and gaining some of the physiological, um, things that I was missing back. And the third thing is probably, I finally got back to, um, we were just talking about the blog by, by Eric Trexler about reverse dieting. And one of the things he mentions is like the body fat set point, where if you fall below a certain body fat, um, for your body, you'll probably feel extra hungry and try to get up to that and, and Luckily for us, there's a high point to it as well, where if you go above that, it kind of, you kind of, your appetite decreases and you'll, you'll use more energy. But I think that uh, I'm finally back to a body fat level. That's a little bit more sustainable for me as well would be the third piece. If I had to, to think about it. Yeah. I think 
a lot of people focus on the diet itself, but they kind of forget the diet after the diet is arguably, you know, more important because that's when, like you said, you can really rebound, especially if you get super lean. And a lot of people just think like they just, you know, consider reaching their goal and they don't think about, you know, especially the few weeks afterwards. And I'm kind of similar with you. I feel like I'm just kind of getting back to normal. My hunger levels are still like, I would say, I don't know. I, I think my hunger levels are always a little bit high. That's my inner kind of chubby kid is my hunger levels are always a little bit high, but I think they're kind of getting back to normal. And I think, yeah, like you said, part of that is just regaining some fat afterwards. Like it's, it's just not realistic to think, okay, I'm going to get super shredded and just maintain that year round. You know, you're going to, if you do that for one, you're just going to feel terrible. You're not going to be able to have any flexibility with your nutrition, going out to eat, you know, spending time with friends and just enjoying life. That's just going to happen less. And yeah, you're just not going to, not going to feel very good. So I think just understanding that you have to gain a little bit of body fat back after you get lean, it's going to be one of the most helpful things. And I think just time away from the deficit is the biggest thing. It seems like it's around a month, regardless of like how much you jack up your food intake after a diet, it seems like it's usually around like a month before your biofeedback starts coming back, you know, more normal with your energy levels and just mood, hunger, things like that. So yeah, that's a, a really good point. What were some of the, like the biggest downsides that you noticed during the diet when you were really, um, I would say well, the number one is for me, like by far and away, you know, there's certainly the aspect of like being hungry and poor gym performance. And those are the other two I wrote down, but those are a, a somewhat distant two and three behind for me, just because of like how my lifestyle is, is formatted. The number one is just like lack of, uh, how do I want to phrase this? Like not being able to be as sociable with food and with drinking and stuff like that. And having to rein that in because, you know, like, I don't know if I, have ever talked about this in a podcast. It's just a second. So I'm assuming not, but I do stand up comedy. And then I also am just like a relatively, like probably slightly more social person than normal, just in terms of like, I like to go out and get dinner with friends. And like, sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm dating here and there. And so you have that and my family lives close. So sometimes I'll go home and have like a Sunday dinner and stuff like that. And having to rein those things in was probably the toughest thing for me because when I'm in like a more flexible, like maintenance sort of, or like lean gaining phase that I'm in right now, those sort of things aren't really an issue. They can be worked in pretty easily, but when you're trying to diet and trying to get leaner, those sort of things don't necessarily have to go to the wayside, but they have to be approached a lot more strictly and have to be considered a lot more weighted more. So just social situations, I think it was tough to navigate. Yeah, I agree. That was probably the one thing for me that was one of the hardest things for sure was just like, I feel like generally my relationships kind of took a hit, you know, it's just hard to maintain those social connections and yeah, really be in tune with the people around you when it's like, you have to kind of restrict yourself in some ways. And that's, that's an important thing to kind of emphasize is that we were doing something that, you know, this was for a photo shoot where we were getting pretty dang lean. Like for most people just getting kind of lifestyling, you don't have to really, you know, restrict these things. And, and I don't want to say avoid social situations, but in a way you kind of 
have to limit those things. And so I think for the everyday person, just trying to get a little bit leaner, you don't need to stress that too much. Of course, there's going to have to be some sacrifices, but it was a little bit different in our situation where we had to be a little bit more um, dialed in with things like that. Yeah. And I noticed something. Oh, I just real quick. That was something I was going to mention as well Is just for someone listening. I don't think this is meant to instill like any fear about dieting or anything like that, because yeah, like you said, our goal was a bit beyond like if it, if I just wanted to get leaner, just in general, like I just felt like getting a little bit more lean, cutting off some fat, I certainly would have stopped a lot sooner and it wouldn't have required as much sacrifice. So for the average person that just wants to get a little bit more lean, you know, like lifestyle lean, you might call it, uh, certainly it doesn't require as much trade-offs. And I don't think like things we'll talk about, like, you know, extreme hunger and a big hit to gym performance, those sort of things might happen a little bit, but not nearly as much as if you're really trying to chase like a more extreme goal, like, like we were, I would just add that caveat. Yeah, exactly. And that's, yeah, like you said, there is going to be some, you know, sacrifice, but it doesn't have to be a crazy sacrifice. Um, I noticed as well, like I was just more stressed. I I remember you and I talking about this and just like mood and stress being off. Remember you mentioned like you were golfing one time Mm -hmm. and you, you just kind of raged for no reason. I, there's little things like that, that it was just like normal things led to they're just a lot bigger deal than normal like i can't really think of any specific examples right now but just like something would happen that's like fairly normal that might be a little bit annoying but i was just a lot more irritable than normal just my mood in general i feel like i would have good days where i was just happy and it was normal and then days where it's like i'm just mad at the world you know and i feel like just being in a deficit like that and your body fat percentage getting low i mean it makes sense from kind of from like an evolutionary perspective if you're starving to death and your body is getting the signals you know that's really what's when you're in a calorie deficit your body doesn't know that this is for a temporary thing you know to get lean for a photo shoot it's oh there's less energy coming in than there is energy going out so your body essentially thinks it's starving. And so it is going to be, it's going to lead to more stress and anxiousness. And that's one thing I definitely noticed. And it was a big, big downside because that, you know, affects your relationships and just your mental health in general. So one big downside there as well. Yeah. Like you mentioned, that was a specific example for me. Like I was honestly very embarrassed afterwards because I was just golfing with friends and like, we were, we were playing competitively. Like we usually do, but you know, it's not like something super that we take super seriously, but uh, yeah. Like when I was a teenager, I had a really bad temper, especially when it came to golf. And I think the biggest change for me was just like, we've talked about mindfulness and meditation and like, those were huge because like, it's funny. Most people that meet me nowadays wouldn't notice that I have a temper and not like I was like necessarily like an ill tempered person in the past, but I definitely would get a lot more frustrated and upset uh, at times, like as a teenager, uh, and like, you know, I started meditating and practicing mindfulness around 22, 23. And I feel like that's made a really huge difference. But, um, yeah, the specific example that you cited, like I got really mad when I was golfing long story short, I, I broke a golf club, which I had definitely been known to do as a teenager. Like I would probably do that, like at least once a summer. Um, and I just, I hadn't done it for the longest time. You know, you just kind of slam your club on the ground and it broke. And I was like, Jesus, what am I, how, why am I this mad about like playing some golf? Like, I feel like I'm a, I'm a teenager again. And I, that was the one time that I really specifically noticed like, wow, this is definitely affecting my mood. 
Yeah. And I think, like you said, with mindfulness, I think one of the, it's definitely not a downside, but one of the kind of side effects of being more mindful is you just notice things like that a little bit more. Cause I, I compare this cut to my first, you know, one where I got comparably lean and I, I didn't notice myself being as irritable and stressed and just moody the first time around. But I think it was exactly that. I just didn't notice it as much. And so we could go down on a side tangent about mindfulness and stuff, but I think just being aware of your emotions, it's a, a good thing for sure. It's a net positive, but it also can kind of make you feel like, Oh, I'm, you know, a lot more moody than normal, which like, it's a good thing to recognize that, you know, whereas yeah. if you just didn't have that, then you would just kind of be, you, you wouldn't be aware of it at all, yeah. you know? And the, the example that comes to mind for me too, is like, I think on one hand you could say, uh, you know, because you're more mindful, you tend to limit those sorts of bursts of anger or anything else like that. That seems to be like negatively associated with, uh, temper or getting out of control with your, with your thoughts or moods. And that's true. But it, to me, like the parallel is when you get more experience with dieting and you focused on like high volume foods, high satiety foods, things like that, you're trying to limit the downsides of dieting in terms of like hunger and feeling like you're not eating enough. But eventually if you push that far enough, you can't put enough band-aids on just realizing that you're in just a really strict deficit. And so the parallel I would draw is like, even though like I am more mindful, I'm better about my, my anger and managing my thoughts and emotions and moods, you know, when you take it that far, like we've been dieting for like three months, it starts to become not unavoidable, but just like, even if you have these practices, even if you have this mindfulness, it's easier to, to let it slip out of control. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's, we'll definitely have some more episodes all about mindfulness and kind of the things that we've learned there. Cause that's something that, I don't know, I think it gets a weird kind of woo woo label, but I think there's definitely a lot of, a lot of benefit to it for sure, especially how it relates to fitness. Um, were there any other kind of downsides relating to that, like mood, stress, anxiousness that you had that you noticed? Um, I feel like this was something I actually thought about a couple of times, but like, I'm, I'm relatively, I would say more than the average person kind of like prone to anxiety. And again, it's like something I have a pretty, pretty decent, uh, handle on, I would say, but I definitely tended to like worry and stress more, uh, as we were like two or three months into the diet, I noticed I had more than my average amount of like anxious thoughts and like neuroticism and kind of letting that creep in. And again, I think it, it makes sense if you tie it to like the body, uh, just looking at it purely physiologically, um, because you are more limited because you're getting more near starvation, so to speak, uh, your body probably ramps up this cortisol ramps up these feelings of stress and anxiety to kind of, uh, you know, if you look at it, like in a, in a hunter, hunter gatherer sort of setting to basically spark you to go find food, you kind of have that extra, that extra sharpness or extra sense of, um, immediacy or, you know, just importance of, you know, ramped up anxiety so that you can go out and, you know, hunt or kill something or go find food, you know, or whatever that might be in that context. Yeah, exactly. I think that makes a lot of sense when you think about it from, from that perspective, do you notice your energy levels really took a hit as well? Or was that something that you're 
All right. Yeah, I think like you and I talked about, I definitely noticed like my caffeine intake increased a lot. And Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that it was like super noticeable in terms of energy levels, like for sure, uh, performance in the gym took a big hit at the end. But throughout the day to day, I wouldn't say like, I didn't feel a huge impact in terms of like feeling more lethargic uh, or anything like that, but definitely mildly took a hit um, energy wise. Like I said, the biggest thing I was noticing, like probably taking in near two times, like the normal amount of caffeine. So that was another thing that seemed to be, seemed to be relevant. How about you? Yeah, that's very similar to me. I just noticed I, it wasn't that I was like walking around just like a zombie tired all the time. It was just, I felt yeah, my caffeine intake was definitely a lot higher than normal, um, which I think kind of offset some of the low energy that I probably would have had without it. But more than anything, it was just like, I didn't, I just didn't feel like doing anything. Like I really enjoy, you know, going out and doing things like playing, you know, going, we live right by a park. And so I'll go and like play with my son and my dogs out at the park and we'll go do things like going uh, and playing disc golf and just little things outside that we like to do going on hikes and stuff like that. And I just never felt like doing that. And that was one of like the hardest things for me was just like, it affected, you know, some of the most important things in my life, like going and playing with my son. It was just like, I just never, was never in the mood for it when I was usually like fired up to do it. I was like, I would would get off work and I'd be like, yeah, we can go play, go do something outside. But I was just during the, the diet, I was just kind of, I don't know, dragging my feet with stuff like that. And then when I would do it, I was less enthusiastic. I was having, just wasn't having as good of a time. So I think that's where my energy really took a hit was just like kind of my enthusiasm for life, I guess. Um, and then also, like you said, training performance, like I didn't notice strength really decrease. And I think a lot of that is kind of how you treat your training when you're in a deficit, you can't just treat your training like you would when you're in a surplus. I think it makes a lot of sense to work in lower rep ranges and things like that when you are in a deficit and there's less energy coming in. So I think a lot of that was offset by just how I was training, but for sure, I just did not enjoy my workouts as much. I was just kind of dragging in those a little bit more and just more anxious to kind of get out of the gym when I was in the gym. Yeah. The thing that comes to mind for me, based on what you said too, is like the most nefarious part about a prolonged calorie deficit is the fact that like a lot of the effects are just so subconscious. So, you know, you might not even realize that you're, unless you were, you know, really being mindful about it, that you were spending less time outdoors with your son, or, you know, you did less, you know, whatever it is that, that gets you active throughout the week and throughout the day, just doing less of that. And that's, I think why a lot of times there's like that myth of like metabolic damage when you're in a calorie deficit. A lot of times what that is, is that people don't realize they're just, I guess to preface this, some of the research that you and I have been reading lately, or maybe it seems like it's especially relevant in like podcasts I've listened to and stuff like that, but, or maybe it's just kind of like my own curiosity, but the fact that basal metabolic rate doesn't take that big of a hit during dieting, but what takes the biggest hit is your NEAT, your non-exercise activity. So essentially NEAT is just all the things that you do to burn calories outside of the gym. So whether it be cleaning the house, going and playing with your son, going on walks, shopping at the grocery store, texting, typing, anything like that. 
Um, that is the sort of activities that take the biggest hit. And like I said, it is subconscious. Um, so maybe, you know, people, again, back to that uh, myth of metabolic damage, a lot of times people just don't realize that they're going on two family walks a week instead of four, and they're cleaning the house, you know, once a week instead of twice. And they're just, the body is really smart in that way and in, in making you uh, burn less calories. So that's something that I was thinking about in, in the context of the things that you were talking about at first there. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think a lot of people think that, you know, their metabolism itself decreases when they're dieting, which I mean, your total daily energy expenditure. So how many calories you burn throughout the day does decrease through throughout dieting, but almost all of that is from your neat. So just how much you're moving throughout the day. And of course, you know, as you lose weight, you're going to burn fewer calories. So that's, what's going to decrease your BMR, your basal metabolic rate, which is basically just how many calories you burn at rest. Your body just naturally burns. And so through that, a small decrease there, just from losing, being a lighter individual and mostly through moving less throughout the days where you know, you're going to be, you're going to see the most down regulation in terms of how many calories you're burning throughout the day. And I think, yeah, just being, being more mindful of that, being more aware, we're using the word mindful a lot, which that's all right. Um, but yeah, just being more aware of that and having tools to kind of offset that, like tracking your steps. That's a big reason yeah, why sure. having, having, yeah, that awareness around how much you're moving throughout the day, just so it's not, you know, cause if you didn't, you'd go throughout this diet and your steps would most likely just naturally decrease over time as you have less energy coming in. So just maintaining a set step target throughout a diet is super helpful. Yeah. And here's one other thing I thought about during and afterwards. Uh, so like, as you know, I usually tend to, or I basically, if I'm in town, um, I'll do yoga at the yoga studio. I go to twice a week and in yoga, um, the default is if you're, you know, feeling tired or, you know, for any reason you can go into child's pose, which is like a resting pose at any point during the practice. And typically when I'm not trying to restrict calories, I can just do the whole flow. I'm with it the whole time. But I found like, as we got deeper into the diet, the more I would just take breaks to do child's pose to just not, you know, I'd get tired, not, not even necessarily maybe tired is not the right word, but I just didn't have the extra energy and excitement to, again, just do that extra activity that normally doesn't seem like a big deal. Like most people, uh, I mean, I, not to like put myself on a pedestal, but I've, I've worked really hard at practicing yoga and I feel like I have more endurance at that. And I can usually go for an entire class sticking with it the whole time. Um, whereas a lot of people tend to take a break or two. And at the end there, I would take two or three breaks, just a whole child's pose, just cause I, I, again, just didn't have that extra burst of energy that I was used to. Yeah. I, I noticed plenty of things like that, where I'm just naturally decreasing my, my activity. Another thing I noticed was I, I just thought about food way too much. I was way too food focused and I would like, you know, just like having that be a big, I don't know, you'd be eating a meal and it's like, you're already thinking about the next meal. It's very, I don't know, close to disordered eating in a way that I, I felt uncomfortable, be uncomfortable being that food focused all the time. Did you notice that as well? Yeah. The thing that I noticed was like towards the last few weeks of the diet, I was literally planning like what meals I would have in the few weeks after the diet, because not that like, as we've talked about before, 
because of, because we practice flexible dieting, nothing is necessarily off limits, but when you're trying to eat, like for me, like I weigh about 180 pounds, 170, kind of close to like under 175 at the end of the diet. But, uh, so I was eating about 2000 calories a day on average to, uh, to continue to lose weight. And at that calorie intake for me, I can't really include things like pizza or a burger or ice cream. Cause it would just really totally like screw up my, uh, hunger levels because I was consuming something that was so energy dense and not going to fill me up. I'd have to focus on things like vegetables, lean proteins, uh, potatoes, rice. That's kind of all I was eating. So I was thinking about afterwards, the things I would eat. I was thinking about going to Jimmy John's or going to like my favorite local burger place here in Omaha. And, and that was the sort of stuff that would kind of consume me from time to time. Yeah. It's, it's interesting when you start to think, I remember I had, I always heard about, you know, people in contest prep for bodybuilding, they would have dreams and stuff about food. And I remember right towards the end of the diet, I would have dreams, like certain dreams that I just like slammed a whole bunch of pizza and just cheated on my diet. And it was, yeah, it was very interesting. I did not like that psychological aspect of just always thinking about food. So it's, and it like, part of that is still lingering a little bit and it's been, you know, about a month. And so that's the biggest thing is it just, it, it takes time to recover from this stuff. And I don't know, I don't want to frame this as like getting shredded is the worst thing in the world, but it is something that you have to, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change that experience. I was really glad to have it. Like I learned a lot throughout the process but it's also, you know, it's important to understand kind of what you're getting yourself into throughout it. Yeah. And again, I think it's, it's, it takes context because there it's not black and white. Like you have to do the things we're talking about to lose fat and to get leaner. Like, I think that at a point you kind of have to give up the flexible dieting aspect of it. Like for example, this is just kind of off the top of my head, but say a man wants to get from about 20% body fat to 15% body fat. You can probably implement flexible dieting, which generally I will equate to like the 80-20 principle, 80% whole natural foods, 20% kind of whatever else. Um, And you can do that pretty much the entirety of like a diet to get from 20 to 15%, probably it varies by individual, but to get from like 12% to about seven or 8%, which is close to what we did at a point, you just kind of give up the flexible dieting approach. Like it becomes more like 96, four in terms of like whole natural foods and like other treat foods, just because, like I said, it's not that there's anything. And that's one of the biggest things we try to preach with our content, with our podcast, like no food is inherently unhealthy, but if you compare like how many calories a scoop of ice cream is and how much that's going to fill me up versus that could be like a whole plate of vegetables and meat, I just can't afford, or I don't want to uh, have to give off that trade-off of like knowing how hungry I'm going to be to stick to my calorie intake by eating these things that are, uh, very, very calorically dense and not going to fill me up. Yeah. Some of the, yeah. Some of the most helpful, one of the most helpful things was just having foods that were high in volume and relatively low in calories, which we talked a lot about that on our last couple recent episodes about getting shredded for the photo shoot. So Jake, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on there in terms of the Um, downsides of getting lean? In terms of the downsides, I would say, I guess one more thing that I, that I was curious on based on what you said earlier is like how you've always kind of seen yourself as a little bit more, uh, like you've had a bit higher of an appetite. And so I'm curious for you to kind of uh, talk a little bit about in your own experience, like hunger versus cravings and how that manifests inside and outside of a diet. 
Yeah, I think I think the two can kind of get meshed together. But I think, again, just being a little bit more aware of what is hunger and what is just like, what is actual hunger, you know, versus what is act, just craving something. Because I think, yeah, I think to put it in a better way, I just naturally crave things like I just like food, you know, like food is just brings me a lot of joy, you know, and I think just differentiating when I'm craving pizza or ice cream or brownies or whatever it is versus actually being hungry. Like if you're, if you're not ready to eat a somewhat bland meal, like chicken, the typical chicken, rice, and broccoli, you're probably not like really hungry. You're probably kind of craving something. And I think, you know, it's important to just be aware of that and differentiate the two. Um, and that, that just takes practice, you know, and actually, again, back to the whole mindfulness thing, you just have to, you have to be aware of kind of where that's coming from. You know, they're, they're not the same thing. So I once heard it put like this, which I think really resonated with me that like true hunger, like real true hunger is when you would eat something that like typically is like a food you dislike, you know? So you're, you're so hungry. Like your body truly is craving calories and nutrition that even a food that, you know, any, on any given random day during, during a, a normal like maintenance phase or whatever, it's a food you don't like that. You're like, Oh, that sounds good. I totally eat that right now. Like to me, that's what true hunger is. Or like, I think the way that you put it as well, it's just like, if it's just like a totally bland, normal meal, rice, chicken, broccoli, even without any seasonings or anything like that. Um, when you're hungry for that sort of thing, that's like true hunger. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I noticed, you know, towards the end of the diet is I would look forward to my somewhat bland meals of like, you know, just scrambled eggs with some veggies in there or like chicken rice and some veggies when usually, you know, those are not foods that I'm pumped to eat, but like uh, oatmeal was one thing that I was like, I loved oatmeal throughout the dieting, which like, you don't look at oatmeal and be like, Ooh, that's a yummy treat usually. But when you're actually hungry, you know, you look forward to really any type of food. So I think just being aware of that and the next time like you're wanting to eat, just kind of ask yourself, okay, am I, is this hunger or is this cravings? And I think just getting more aware of the hunger versus craving cues can help a lot, especially when dieting. Yeah. And one, one more thing I would point out is I first tried like a serious cut. I guess I tried plenty of cuts when I was like a teenager, but that was without as weird as it sounds now, uh, before I understood energy balance and calories and, you know, I would just cut by trying to eat less as far as the eye could see, or, you know, just trying to cut carbs or whatever. But in like 2017, 2018, I finally started reading about and learning about energy balance and calories. And I try to cut again. And I was like, Oh, this is going to be easy. Like to lose weight. All I have to do is cut calories and I can do that till I'm as lean as I want. And then I finally got to like around 11 or 10% body fat. And I was still doing like very much flexible dieting if it fits your macros. And I just noticed how like I would get these crazy hunger cravings or hunger or cravings, either one, um, I guess more so just hunger, but that was the biggest difference. And I think I pointed this out to you at one point during the diet is focusing on high volume foods, nutrient dense foods, foods that could provide a lot of satiety for not a lot of calories. That was by far the most important thing. And the thing that I think people need to keep in mind when, of course, it's great to learn about energy balance. That's like a huge breakthrough for a lot of people. And that's super important. But if you're really focusing on and you're serious about 
getting great results from a fat loss stage, you have to think beyond just the calories and think about the composition of your food as well. That was probably my biggest takeaway or one of my biggest yeah. takeaways. Yeah, I agree. I, and that's the thing that I enjoyed about going throughout this process. It just reminded me a lot of the stuff that I knew, but it's easy to forget about when you are in just like a calorie surplus and you don't have to worry about this. You're just focusing on building muscle. Like hunger isn't the biggest issue that you're, you're worried about. And I mean, it could be the opposite where like you feel a little bit too full or you don't have as much of an appetite. So just going through that and actually experiencing that, I think was a, a good thing. It helps us relate to clients a little bit more, you know, our, our fat loss clients. And that can be a really helpful thing. I know I was able to just take a lot away from it in that sense. So again, not to frame this as something that you shouldn't, you know, if you, if you really want to get lean and again, keep in mind, this was us getting photo shoot lean, which was like, uh, I would say I was, you know, eight to 10% body fat. So not like absolutely peeled, but pretty lean. And I would say you're similar to that yeah. Jake, maybe. Yeah. yeah. You might've been a little bit leaner than me. Um, but just understanding that like we went about this in a way that was to get, you know, kind of, I don't want to say exotically lean, but pretty, pretty dang lean and not most people need to do that. And if you're just looking to get to kind of a sustainable quote unquote beach lean of, you know, 12% body fat or so it's probably, you're probably not going to notice all of these downsides, unless you go about it in a way that you're very aggressive with it and you just, yeah, you, you don't have, um, kind of some guidance with it. You might notice some of these downsides, but I don't think, you know, if you're just getting to that 12% range, it's going to be nearly as brutal. And again, it's not this bad thing, but it is important to know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. And just quickly here, if we have time, like I did want to and this by just for me pointing out a couple of the biggest pros of getting that shredded. And one we've kind of alluded to a lot here in the last like five or 10 minutes. And that's just like, for me, I just wrote down, like it points out where the holes in your diet are. So what I realized afterwards, or at least maybe like midway through the diet is like, wow, I'm consuming so many more vegetables than I was taking in when I was just in a maintenance phase. And that was mostly due to just like having to eat more high volume for satiety. But what I realized too, is like, I think I might be, I mean, again, like, is this partly placebo? Sure. But I felt like I felt better because I was getting more of that micronutrient intake, those phytonutrients that you get from, from eating vegetables that, uh, it's definitely something that I've carried past the diet where I'm back on a very good, uh, schedule of like regularly getting probably four to six, uh, servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Whereas before the diet, it might've been more like two to three, some days more, even more like one to two. So that was one thing that it really pointed out to me was when you have to cut things out, it shows you where the holes in just like your maintenance diet, uh, is. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that hundred percent. Cause I, before, yeah, I was getting very few vegetables and just prioritizing or rather not prioritizing, you know, higher volume foods. Cause I think it's still important. You know, like we talked about the diet after the diet, it's important to prioritize foods that are still going to keep you full and you don't want to just go crazy, um, with being too flexible right after the diet. And it, it helped with that, just getting a good structure of the foods that I enjoy that fill me up and are actually nutritious. And then, you know, it's easier to maintain some of that afterwards. Absolutely. Yeah, that and I think that it again, like being reminded of what hunger really feels like to me, that's been useful to 
help in situations where like sometimes I'd overeat just because I was enjoying the food hedonically and which is not necessarily a bad thing to just enjoy food sometimes. But I feel like the other thing I've carried past the diet is like flexible dieting again, as a tenant of like any good maintenance diet. And so now I can still like eat foods that I, that I really enjoy, um, once or twice a week, pizza, burgers, ice cream, stuff like that. But I feel like I'm better at like stopping when I'm full and not continuing to overeat because I've, I've been, I've become so familiarized with my hunger signals again. So that's another benefit that I noticed. Yeah, no, I agree. It helps you kind of differentiate the two. Another big thing was just having a very intense practice of discipline, you know? Yeah. That's another thing I wrote down as well. Yeah. Yeah. Having something that's like, you just have to really be disciplined and, you know, your willpower isn't going to just last indefinitely, but having like an intense practice like that, where you can kind of, you know, challenge where your discipline limits are, I think can be really helpful. And I noticed, you know, throughout those months of dieting, I became a lot more disciplined in other areas of my life. So it's something that kind of branches out. If you can get disciplined with one thing and really prove to yourself how disciplined you can be kind of branches out into other areas for sure. Yeah. And I think that, uh, for me, I was just kind of, I mean, I don't think an outsider would ever describe me as lazy. Like I certainly dip my toes into more things than the average person, but I kind of felt like with my training, I'd fallen into a little bit of what for me was like a lazy stretch where for a while, I, I don't remember exactly what the time, what, how I bookmarked the time, but I was just working out three days a week. Cause at a time I was really busy and that's kind of what suited me. And then I never got out of that. Like I wasn't overly busy, but I was just working out three times a week. I was maintaining just fine, but I wasn't pushing towards anything. And I was glad that the diet gave me something to push towards and really work hard on because it's, it's funny how that is such a source of satisfaction because you think that the source of satisfaction in life is just to have it easy and to, you know, people like to think, oh, if I could just eat all the food I wanted all day and not work out and be in shape, that would be awesome. But part of it is the process is the more enjoyable part than the outcome. And so really having to work hard and discipline yourself towards something was a really was an experience that I was missing out on that I didn't have. Probably the last time I had it was last year when I ran a half marathon, because that was something I was working towards. But it just reminded me that, especially just because of my temperament, and I, I think a lot of people share this in common with me, I just need something to work towards and to strive towards to really like feel like my best. Yeah. A lot of times the pursuit of the goal is what really feels the best. You know, I, I definitely noticed that as well. And another thing I noticed is it just kind of like re-sparked this kind of fire for me, I guess. Cause I don't know when you, when you do get lean, you start to see like, okay, like you, you start to just reveal more muscle and like you realize that, okay, like I'm actually, you know, I, I have some shape and, you know, I, I actually like the way that I look and it kind of re-sparks that a little bit when you are focused on building muscle and you're just eating in a calorie surplus for an extended period of time, you start to just lose, I don't, for me, at least I just lost some of that fire of, you know, I don't know, being, I guess I don't know. I don't really know how, how to put it, but it, it just is exciting in that way. You know, that's like, okay, I can actually, I feel like I'm in good shape again. Yeah. You know, and that was, that was really enjoyable. Well, it's like something that you and I have talked before about with clients. Like sometimes 
we'll notice with clients, like sometimes, and this is not everyone, but around the three or four month mark, if we see like a, a plateau in terms of, of weight loss, that'll kind of tend to coincide with a plateau in like motivation in you know, like compliance to the plan and communication back and forth with the coach and client. And I think that that's what it relates to me there is like when you're seeing that rapid progress, like when we take a client on and they're losing a pound a week and they're gaining, you know, five pounds a week on every lift, like that's super inspiring. And not that that is like something you always have to look towards or look for because that's not necessarily possible, but it's fun every once in a while when you switch directions or when you really get intensely focused on a goal to see that really rapid progress. Cause that is inspiring. Yeah. A little, little sense of novelty goes a long way because just, yeah, training for hypertrophy and building muscle can get a, a little bit monotonous. So thrown in a fat loss phase like that can be pretty exciting. So I think that was a, a good balance of a lot of the downsides. Were there any other pros that you wanted to go over? Um, the last pro for me was just like something we've talked about that you kind of build a big runway in terms of uh, building muscle. So, you know, going for me from about 185 pounds to down to like around the time of the photo shoot, like 170, I have like a lot of room now, I feel like to build muscle and not have to add a lot of weight. Or I guess like what I think of is once I get back up to 185 pounds in the next sometime in the next year or so, I expect that I'll have a lot more muscle and I'll be a lot stronger than I was. And that can really only be accomplished for someone who's been lifting as long as I have from really cutting down and kind of getting down, you know, you kind of sand things down and then build back up. Um, of course you can accomplish that by just, you know, staying around your same body weight and lean gaining or main gaining as we've called it. But I think that this is a more efficient way to do that. Uh, and that's what I noticed. Yeah, no, I agree. And for a lot of our clients that, you know, we focus on body recomposition with, they're not a decade into training like you are and in your situation where you are a lot more experienced, we have to be a little bit more aggressive when it comes to fat loss. And then, like you said, it just builds up a lot of runway to be able to eat in a calorie surplus, not have your body fat percentage getting too high that your next fat loss phase would be super brutal, you know? So it just helps with managing your body composition. So that's a, yeah, a really good point. Yeah. And the last thing just real quickly that I would point out too, is like, notice that neither Kate or I have talked about like how good it felt to be shredded on the photo shoot day or how cool like the pictures look, which is true. But I think what you, what that points out to me is that, you know, sometimes clients will ask like, Hey, do you think we can train, train me down, you know, get me lean enough to have a six pack. And it's like, the only time I'd be willing to do that for a client is if they realize that, like we've talked about, it's about the journey and not the destination. Because if you feel like, and I've been there before, and that's why I say it, like when I was 20 or so, 21, 22, the first time I ever like had a visible six pack, I, I went towards it thinking like, oh, this is going to be such a great feeling. I'm going to feel, you know, so accomplished. And so it's going to be such a rewarding feeling to have a six pack. And that's not true. And that's something you only really realize once you've accomplished it, but it really truly is not about the end result. Again, Kate and I not once have cited like how cool we looked, how cool we felt, which again is a consideration, but is maybe 5% versus 95% is just the discipline and the challenge and the experience of, of getting to that stage of, of leanness and, and what it takes, because it really is more, it's more mentally rewarding than it is physically rewarding, I guess is, is what I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And as 
cliche as it is, you know, the reward is in the process, not in the outcome. I think that's a cliche for a reason. And it, it really applies to, you know, getting lean as well. So I think that was a good balance of the pros and the cons. I think it's important to understand and know both of those going into a fat loss phase like this. Um, so I hope that episode was helpful guys, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you again for tuning in and listening. I really hope you guys enjoyed that episode. And if you did, take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram story, and tag me at Howell underscore fit, and leave the podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions about coaching or need advice on anything training or nutrition related, shoot me an email at the email linked in the description, and I will talk to you guys soon.